0: the game down a little bit on this, Daryl? I think that's what's causing a little bit of that feedback. Okay, yeah, that's a um, So this morning we're going to be in 1 Timothy again. Before we get to that, uh, I do want to let you all know, I was going to do this last week and with everything I forgot. Um, uh, Sarah is pregnant, and uh, we are very excited. We're very early along, and you all know, right when, I, when the church is reopened, I wasn't with you a week, uh, because we miscarried our, 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 our child, Hope John, and, uh, and so we're a little more nervous than we normally are, and so if you'd just pray for us, we take care this. Okay, let's turn this morning um, to First Timothy. Um, and I'm going to read for us our passage this morning, which is just the first seven verses of chapter three. The first thing. And no, I'm sorry, I had several people comment last week uh, on uh, Larry McCall, Pastor Larry McCall, who gave the charge to me at the ordination and how good of a reader of scripture he is. Um, I'm no Larry McCall. so. <laughs> But I'll do my best. Uh, okay. First Timothy chapter three verses one through seven. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore an overseer must be above reproach. A husband of one wife, sober minded, self controlled, respectable, hospitable deceit, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let's pray this morning for God. Let's help this morning. Father, thank you that you have given us your word. We pray that you would give it to us this morning in a fresh way. We pray that your spirit would help us to see and to hear. We pray this in the name of your good Son, Jesus. So, as God would have it in His timing, we're here this morning and talking about elders the week after I was ordained as your minister, as your pastor, and hopefully you find me fitting these qualifications, and hopefully, Lord willing, I will meet these until the end. Um, I was talking with one of the pastors this past week about his ordination, and both of the pastors... That ordained him in the 80s have walked away from him. Um, one, literally love of money, demanding more and more and more from his congregation, taking a second job, um, and then basically not doing anything for the church. And at the very end, vandalizing the church, tearing cushions, stealing a few Bibles and, and hymnals. Just it awful. It's awful that happened about ten years after the ordained and then, and then another man uh, was ordained and, and one of those men just uh, about five years ago in an and so it is a very sad thing that the reality is this is a hard race and there is only one keeper of those in this race and is Jesus Christ so you need to be diligent in praying for me and for our elders and elders that we would not stumble in these ways. It is easy to stumble in faith. I don't stumble and that our elders and future elders don't stumble. We want men who finish the race. So that was sobering to talk to them this week. Um, so we begin the passage and it's, remember the context again. So you have Timothy, being talked to by Paul. He's he's the pastor of his church in Ephesus. There's some problems going on. He says Timothy gotta stop these men from talking and causing division because Jesus Christ is the only answer. And these men are causing division by all kinds of other stuff. And then he talks about how men should behave in the church lifting holy hands and praying and that women should be quiet fitting in the Lord, and then he gives specific instructions about what kind of men need to be leaders in the church, and they're sober-minded men, uh, men who are above reproach. This does not mean sinless men. We're often told in Scripture that so-and-so was a righteous man, that so-and-so lived a righteous life, including men like Noah, men like Abraham, but we also know that those men sinned. So it's not a matter of sin, it's a matter of above reproach. Am I quick to confess sin? Are our elders quick to confess sin? Are they not stained by any repugnant sort of sin? And most of the qualifications written about here are character traits. So the quality of the man in office as a pastor and elder matters immensely. There are only a couple of things in this list that are not character specific. Able to teach is not a character trait. Um, Husband of one wife we think is not a character trait, but I think is both a thing and a character trait. Um, And not a recent convert. So able to teach and not a recent convert are really the only two that are not having to do with the character of the man. And he starts out by saying, if anyone desires the office, of overseer, an elder, he desires a noble task. And I was reminded of this passage in Romans chapter 12, where we're commanded by God to think soberly about ourselves. So this is Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. So one of the things that happens, one of the reasons given about not having a recent convert be a pastor, is that recent converts are very convinced of their assurance of a lot of things that they know very little about. Um, and they think more highly of themselves than they should. <laughs> And they don't have all the answers that they think they have. This is true throughout life, right? It's not just recent converts. It's young men. It's young women. The reason the upheaval happens is lots of young people think they have it more together and thought through than people who have been there for decades. And it's just not true. And so when we think about what a man has to do to think himself desiring of the office of overseer, he has to be sober about himself. He cannot think about himself more highly than that. Well. One of the things that is a big help in our presbytery is the pastor's college that just came. Three years. It's called now. It's called New Geneva Academy. And so you'll hear that name sporadically. Um, the reality is the main emphasis of that college is sober thinking. Are you thinking rightly of yourself and your gifts? And can we see those gifts and character traits and If we can't see them, we should probably look harder. And if we do see them, we should continue to look harder. Do you have qualifications of a pastor? Are you thinking soberly about yourself as an overseer? We do not want men who are thinking of themselves more highly than me. And this happens a lot, right? To give it a broader picture, because this is, after all, the week of the election, um, many holding office think much more highly of themselves than they are. And it's evident to everyone watching. Everyone can see this person as just, he's pompous. He's just full of himself. And here he is saying, I should be a leader. And it's clear he doesn't have the knowledge, the skills, or especially the wisdom to apply anything that he actually does. This is a common sin, especially among men. It's especially true among men who get promoted. Who become leaders in an organization. And think that, hey... I'm the VP of X, Y, or Z. I should obviously be an elder. I I clearly have what it takes. I'm, you know, high leadership in some organization. And the reality is, that's not a qualification trait in Scripture of an elder. An elder does not have to be high up in his organization. An elder does not have to be uh, the owner of his own business. An elder does not have to be, you know, The manager of an entire store. An elder has to be a good man above reproach who has thought soberly about the thing. The second part of that is he's not just supposed to think soberly about himself. But here it says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. He shouldn't just think... About himself and whether or not he is going to match up with these things. So overseers need to think about the actual job before And it's something we've talked about a lot over these last months as we've looked at this. The job of a pastor, of an elder, the task, the soul care, it is a weighty, weighty matter. It is not, do we meet budget? It is not. Did we have this many people in the seats? It is not, did we meet quota? That is business mindset. It has its place, right? If you have managers and VPs who don't care a lick about meeting a quota, your business will not last very long. But the quota in the church is completely different. And it's not a numeric number. It's quality. It is qualitative. What the people under me believe. How do they act? Are they persevering? Are they falling away? Do they need encouragement? Do they need rebuke? Do they need exhortation? Do they need tears? Do they need happiness? Do they need hugs? Do they need comfort? Do they need sorrow? that is an immense duty. And a man who does not go into overseeing, shepherding, eldering, without thinking through do I have the capacity for that is a man who should not be a pastor. And this happens a lot. Because what we tend to focus on when we want an elder or a pastor is can he teach and is he a likable? Likeable is not a character trait here. He's to be well thought of by outsiders, but you'll know that the Apostle Paul and Timothy and Peter and the rest of the Apostles, although no one could say a scandal against them, they were well thought of in that way. The outsiders
1: hated them.
0: And so there's a difference between well thought of and liked. You might not be liked by your town, but you'll be well thought We all know people like this, people on the council or a mayor, who nobody really liked him, but everyone thought he was a good guy. They didn't think he was, like, doing scandalous stuff with the door closed. They knew that he was above reproach. They just didn't care for him. So we're not looking for likable men. We're looking for godly men. Hopefully, godly men are likable. We can't have everything like really. And lots of the men of Scripture were not very likable men. Okay? You think about all through this. um, I'm going to use Joseph as an example. Joseph had these dreams when he was young. And part of the problem was Joseph was just not very likable when he talked about his dreams. It wasn't that the dreams weren't true. It wasn't that his brothers and his parents weren't going to bother. It was that he was like 15 years old and acted like a 15 year old. Hey, did you hear about these dreams I had? Let's, let's see how you like this. He wasn't likable. Now he grew to be likable, and he was well thought of by everyone who met him. And then he, at the end, he plays this weird game with his brothers. Right? Hide his money in their sack. Make some freak out, demands that they bring their brother back. No one would say, well, that was a very likable thing to do, Joseph. Just playing these tricks on your brothers when all the mile, you just meant to forgive them, hug them, embrace them. The reality is that likableness doesn't mean anything other than people like it. What we need are men who, are, who aspire to the office and who meet these character traits. And the second thing we make the mistake of, so we like likable men like men who can teach. Lots of churches, unbelievable amounts of churches, have hired men who can teach. And we do not need any of these. I could name them for you, and you could name them for me. Many of them happen to be on TV. They can teach my friends. They have no godliness. There's nothing that you should be mimicking in their lives. This is made true over the many times that... I'm thinking of one specific guy who's big on Facebook. I can't think of his name. He's down in the south. About five years ago, he became like this huge sensation. making all these videos on Facebook. And then, lo and behold, he and his wife divorced and he marries his secretary. And just continues on. Still the pastor of the same church. Acts like there ain't nothing to see here. Clearly there was we were all above board. Me and my wife just fell out of love and got a divorce and I happened to marry the woman who was my secretary. Nothing to see. Nobody talk about it. Listen, you can be a great teacher and unfit for the office. Scandal does not belong in an office holder in the church That is not above board clearly reproachful. And yet, the man retained his church, retained his salary, didn't even God. Probably, his gotten mazes, because he is an amazingly effective teacher. He can communicate well. So those are the two things we focus on. Teach is he like? So let's instead look at the things that are supposed to be true, must be true, like an elder an overseer. He must be the husband of one wife. Now, I am in good company with this interpretation. This is John Calvin. This is John Chrysostom. John Chrysostom was 200 AD. John Calvin was 500 years ago. Both of them agree that this idea of the one woman man, the husband of one wife, does not mean you can never have been divorced. They both agree that what it means is you can't be a flirt, a known womanizer, and you can't have multiple women polygamy was a real problem in the church. And Paul said, absolutely not. An overseer must not be anything other than a one-woman man, a husband of one wife." Now this doesn't mean, this doesn't give allowances for a man who just got divorced and just got remarried to just have nothing to do in that situation. There needs to be Time where we can prove that that man is actually a one-woman man. Especially if that divorce occurred before he was a Christian. Lots of sins happened before we were Christians that are reproachful. We're dealing with the present tense. A one-woman man now. And so what does that mean? That means a man who was divorced in the 70s, early 80s, He's been married to the same woman since 1982. Probably fits up. Okay. We need to not be tighter than scriptures. We are talking about present day. We are talking about what is the testimony of this man's life currently. This is a present tense reality. Um, this doesn't mean it's a low bar. Lots of men get divorced and remarried lots of times. If you have a man who over the course of 40 years has had three or four wives, five, eight years each, that's not a one-woman man. If you have a man who you know works with everybody, at the grocery store in the checkout line, with the waitress, makes everybody feel just a little bit uncomfortable, not a one-woman man, Okay. If you have a, a man who you discover sexual sin with, right? I'm not going to get into too much detail. Listen, the one-woman man is not a man who uses a computer screen or a magazine. Okay? The one-woman man is not a man who looks at other women. This is absolute. And so we need to be very careful when we, when we think about who we're putting on. And so this is especially a point where the women of the church are headed. Okay? My wife has a very good sense of, eh, I don't think I like this guy. Immediately. Just instantly. Lots of women have to. Because lots of women have to deal with lots of creeps. And they have to be able to figure it out real quick. Because they don't want to get in a situation where they're alone with a creep. Women of the church, you are important in this. We begin the, the process of ordaining a man. What do you think he keeps me out? He just he just something about the way he talks to us, something about the way he looks at other women makes me uncomfortable. Come, and tell the other officers, tell your elders, tell your pastors, tell me. We want to know them. We do not want to get in a situation where, for whatever reason, we didn't see it. And three years in, we have an overseer, an elder, who is committing adultery with a woman in our church. We don't want to get into that if we can help it. But be vigilant. Don't think that what you see doesn't exist. Tim Bailey, who was here last week, just drilled this into our heads for the last two See what you see you see it? Do you think it? Probably more than likely right. That's the problem with a lot of us, is we see it, and then we just pretend like it doesn't exist. This is important stuff. When we're in the process now of ordaining our own elders, right, that's our hope, that's our goal as a church, to get at least two men ordained to the office of elder, so that we can become, by the books, a particularized church. We have a couple of men up, and we think, not that guy. Not that guy. Come on. Do not be shy about it. You will not be judged for having a thought, an inclination. Okay? This is important because all of us together are caring for one another, and we do not want to put a man caring for souls whom no one trusts. He can't do his job well, and you won't trust him. So you must be a one-woman wife. A one, one husband of one wife. A one-woman man. Sober-minded. This is, again, a lot of these you grow into. But sober-mindedness really is a lifelong trait. Um, you either are sober-minded, or you're not. You either think with... with with thoughtfulness, with future-mindedness, or you're just all over the place. Um, I know a guy who uh, aspires to the Office of Elder and has a new idea and a new plan about every two months and has started like ten podcasts and ten blogs and has been a part of this and that and has a bunch of... Listen, sober-mindedness is being without, like, it's being really aware of what you are, who I am, who our elders are, what it, what the sinfulness of people looks like. And just being real about it. Not giving more weight to that, less weight to that. Sober-mindedness means that um, when sin comes, that He doesn't flip out that's about, I've never heard of that. Sin? Christians? Sober-mindedness also is not ignoring that sin. I was talking to my younger sister and uh, the church that they have been going to, uh, the pastor was going to marry a couple and they ended up breaking up and the, and the man was over at my sister and brother-in-law's house. My brother-in-law was asking, are you guys sleeping So did the pastor ask you that? He like, no, but he did say in one of our counseling sessions, in passing, if you guys are sleeping together, you should get on control. And that was all that the pastor did to confront that sin. That's not sober-mindedness. That's not using his brain and his wisdom. And sober-mindedness is, is not being distracted, and then it's actually thinking rightly about the world we live it's not being caught up in the latest fad, and it's also just knowing how sin works. And being okay with dealing with sin. Um, you know, the uh, one of the things that's happened this week on Facebook and everywhere else is, um, because of this election weirdness of all kinds of things, uh, a lot of my friends who are my age are like, well, we should do this, and we should do that, and what about this, and what about that? And they're just completely unsobered by the whole deal. As though, as though sticky elections have never been a part of life. They always are a part of life. Just the reality is, for the last 25 years, they've all been like on the Democratic side, not the Republican side. But now we're having to deal with it vice versa, right? Sober-mindedness. If you're losing your mind over an election, you probably shouldn't be the pastor of a church. You probably shouldn't be an elder a lot more at stake than who is sitting in the Oval Office. The souls of people in the town that we live hang in the balance every day. And the only solution to that is Jesus Christ. That's so Self-control. Self-control is both a character trait and a learned trait. A lot of these are. Self-control is one of the main ones. Self-control is a gift of the Holy Spirit. We love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's also something we learn. We discipline our bodies and our minds. And so you have to have a man who probably possesses both. That doesn't mean he's never had issues with self-control. It means has he learned self-control? Does it seem like he's out of control in a lot of areas? Or maybe just Has he been growing in those areas? These are all things that, if you're evaluating elders, you're going to have to be pushing into Are there areas where you're out of control? Where you don't have it together? What are those areas? Are those reproachful? Are they common to man? Are they not common to man? All of these things matter. Character matters. And so these are the sorts of things we have to look at sober-mindedness when evaluating um, self-controlled, respectable. This one is difficult. What is a respectable man? We, we have misplaced respect a lot in my generation where respect basically goes that the guy who's like the most honest about his failures even though that's accurate. Pretty disres- like it's not respectable most of the time um, because mostly what that is is just like you know, fawning for praise for being honest. Respectableness is a difficult thing to nail down, but you know it when you see So, things that could contribute to this, would be like slob- slobbiness. Okay? If I were a slob, you wouldn't think I was that respectable. My house was unkept. I just wouldn't think I was that respectful. Now right now, we'll have to excuse the mess going on at our house, both in the yard and house. But hopefully within the next few weeks, we will no longer be disheveled on the outside, but actually cleaned up. But those are things that matter. If you if you have a pastor, who's just kind of... And an elder who's just... That's not good. Because... We are under shepherds to the good shepherd. The king. And the men who report to the king do not report disrespectfully. You now we tend to disrespect our president. Our king. is so far away and the office of president is not actually a king. Listen. He's a king. Okay? If you go to the Oval Office and you don't pay respects, you're a fool not just in the eyes of men, but in the eyes of God. Okay, You go to the Oval Office and you say, Mr. President, it's an honor to You don't walk in and try and high-five the guy. You don't walk in and put your feet on his desk. The respectable nature of the Office of Elder and Overseer is that we report to the King. Do we take that seriously? Are elders respect? Hospitable. You, you, we're going through all these things, you know, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, non drunk, Hospitable. Why is this in here? It's very different than a lot of these other things. A lot of these other ones are self okay, things: self-control, above reproach, one-woman-man. Hospitable is this. It's out. Is the man hospitable? Which means, do you feel welcome in his home? Does he make you feel welcome outside of his home? This is this is a difficult one because this is all judgment. This is not easy to nail down because you can have a man who invites you to his home, you feel uncomfortable the whole time you're there, it's like pins and needles what's going on. Um, Sarah and I know a couple of who, who have a house and you just feel like maybe you shouldn't touch anything while you're there. And you just kind of always on pins and needles. They're very nice. The food is good. It's pleasant conversation. It just feels like maybe if you move the flower pot two inches to the left that they'd probably talk about you when you leave. Okay? Um, and then... We have another couple who we thought would be like that. He's an attorney. He was the state budget director for Indiana for 10 years. Right? He's the reason Indiana has been in the black since Mitch Daniels. Right? He was Mitch's budget director, Mike Pence's budget director. You would think that going into this guy's house, and he, and he stands just, he's an erect man. Right? He just stands with perfect posture his heels a little bit. And you think going into his house would just be really uncomfortable. And we both went and we're like, oh, this is so nice. I feel so at home here. So at ease here. So like I could just stay here for hours with him and his wife and his kids. And so we had this expectation that this would be not a hospitable. And then it turns out he was extremely hospitable. We were just kind of afraid to get to know him. Because... He just looks like he might not be hospitable. Looks can be deceiving, and so do you have a man like that? You, you want a man who's like that. You want a, a man who has a wife. Like that. And this gets into the next set. Um, well, ways. So you must manage. His own okay, hospitable, able to teach. We've already kind of covered that. You don't want a guy you can't learn from. You don't have to demand perfection from the pastor. Um, One of the things, one of the failings of one of the churches Sarah and I were part of was a man followed another man in the office of pastor who was an adequate preacher, but he wasn't a great preacher like the previous one. It's just very difficult for the congregation. He was a good preacher, but he wasn't a great preacher. We have to be careful of that. But we do want men who can actually teach. We want men who say things that are helpful. Not just from the pulpit or in a Sunday school, but person-to-person. We want men who can actually say things that help you. Not a drunkard. Okay, now we're getting into visible sins. Like, what? what is a man who's above reproach? Well, he's these character traits, man. He's kind of drunk. Okay. You think, well, why is this? Like, surely we kind of know this, Paul. If he's above reproach, clearly he's not. We know a lot of people who are pretty much above reproach to just drinking too much. This can't be true of a pastor. It cannot be true of an elder. We can't have men who lose it. We can't have men who lose it. This is not optional. This doesn't mean a pastor can ever have a drink. If you walk in and this guy's tipsy, red flags, real problems. We are not to be drunk on wine but filled with the Holy Spirit. You do not want a man in office who drinks. Because it's the opposite of spilling the Spirit. And if you don't have a Spirit-filled man, you ain't got no hope. Okay? Elder cannot be a drunk. Spirit-filled. Not violent but Gentle violent men. This is a striker. That's what the word means. Just immediately to fisticuffs. a um, I have a good friend. I think he should be an elder. This was the sin of his youth, right? He would walk into a bar, lock eyes with someone and immediately they'd be going. Um, this is true. Like This is the sin of my family. Uh, this is maybe five or six years ago. Many of my dad's brothers and cousins who are all in the age of about sixty. Fifty-five to sixty-five. A lot of them, not my dad, but a lot of them drink a lot. We're at a family reunion. We started drinking about we'll say ten to be generous in the morning. Drink all day. About eleven o'clock at night. A group of about six or eight of them decided to go down to a bar downtown in my hometown. Get into a fight with the owner of the bar at one o'clock in the morning. We don't want men who are prone to that. We don't want a guy who can pick a fight at 60 years old. Okay? It's not respectable, and it's just downright demeaning. And yet, here we have this command that elders must be. It's easy to go to physical blows with people. It is much more difficult to be
1: okay.
0: This is the mark of this. This is the mark of this. Gentleness in the midst of very great diversity, very great argumentation, right? So, um, as much as I admire our president, Donald Trump, Donald Trump can yeah. And not just because of many other things, but because of this. The guy is not gentle, he is a striker. He just, he, if. If he were prone to actually using fists, you know that he would have been in about 30 fist fights by now in office. But instead, he does it verbally. He punches verbally. It's just not appropriate for a pastor. It's not appropriate for an elder. Okay? Now, Donald Trump has a lot of other traits. Good. But that alone keeps him out of the church. A thousand things aside. Whether or not the guy's actually a believer is another question entirely. But even if he is, he can't be an elder uh, Not quarrelsome, not picking fights. I'm going to kind of go through these quickly now. I, we're about out of time. Not a lover of money. Uh, I talked earlier about the man who ordained another friend of money, another pastor friend. Just fell in love the world. Fell in love with money. Um, this comes out in a lot of ways. Managing your household well is part of it guy racks up debt because he can't manage his household. You either repent of that sin and start managing well, or you became a lover of money. Money becomes the thing. And salary becomes the thing. This can't be true. You cannot have a demanding pastor. You cannot have demanding elders. You always wanting more and more, extracting you watched the, the cartoon Robin Hood last night. And, uh, you know, the, the sheriff and the king just squeezing every last dime out of the four people of money. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like when an elder who doesn't get paid is in love with money. just squeezes the congregation for every dime that he can get. For whatever reason it is, a new building, or more expensive pastor pay, blah, 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 whatever, elders shouldn't squeeze their confidence. Uh, must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, there's someone does not know how to manage temples. I've talked about this several times in many sermons. But if a man's children are out of control, he's unfit for office. For so this very reason the church will be out of not If you can't do it at a small level, with really pretty easy to manage behaviors, right? Children. How in the world are you going to deal with actual adults who we think children are stubborn, but we know that adults are actually the stubborn ones. We are the ones with sins and things that we don't want to give up or say no to If you can't do it with a five-year-old, he definitely is not going to be able to do it with an angel. Set in their ways. Refuse to come to the table. This is not a good situation. He must manage his own household well, keeping his children seriously. He must not be a recent convert. We've already talked about that. Or he becomes puffed up with conceit and falls into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsider's he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. There's twice there at the end. Um, not a recent convert, so he doesn't become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Well thought of by outsiders, so he might, might not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Outsiders. Why does it matter to outsiders? If outsiders sense in a pastor something that they need to be put in. You better believe that your church will be full of people who don't believe but want to use your pastor or your elder for what they can accomplish in and if they sense in a pastor and elder the ability to get your foot pulled with someone like that, it will be destructive to the church. And we've all seen it. We've all seen men from outside who use a pastor and overseer to manipulate an entire church and their place. Um, here, here are a couple ways that this plays out. So, I know a pastor who will not discipline a man who is very welcome in this church. End of life attorney. Brings in tons of money to that church's bankroll through the death of people who give estates to the church. Okay? And that man saw 25, 30 years ago that that pastor was not quite respectable. He could get a foothold in this And so now, 30 years later, there's no way that that pastor would do anything to like that Destruction of the church. You have a man now who is not a pastor, should never be a pastor, should never be an elder, because he denies that Jesus is the only way to Christ. He's in love with the world, he's in love with his money, didn't deny it, he's But he's actually the one who calls the shots in the church. That's what's going on. An outsider is now inside the church running the church. You have to have a pastor. Who is well thought of by outsiders, so much so that they don't think they can get any skin on him. They can't get a foothold with your tears your elders, your pastors. Because if they think they can, they will. Right? You got guys who have golf buddies, right? Who think they can and then all of a sudden all the golf buddies are in the church, and then all of a sudden they're doing what all the golf buddies want to do. That's a bad sign. This is what it means to be well thought of by outsiders so that you will not fall into disgrace and snare of the devil. Not a new convert. Why is this about condemnation of the devil? So the condemnation of the devil, right, we look at Old Testament passages, like Antonio, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17. The sin of Satan was that he was an exalted one. He thought the real highly. Exalted himself over God. Recent converts those can become puffed up with conceit. They can think themselves more able to do more things than they actually can. It just leads them into the same kind of that. We don't want that. We want our young converts to grow into old converts. And so we don't hand them a church. Anymore say, I'm glad you have fervor. I'm glad you have zeal. Keep the fire burning and lit. When you have a little more maturity, when you've seen a little bit more stuff, when you've studied the Bible a little bit more, when you've seen the destructive power of sin, of yourself and others, then with fervor and zeal you can. And delaying things like that doesn't take away anything from the power of a, of a pastor. Um, this is something I've had to tell myself repeatedly. Like I'm 37 now; it feels like I've been alive for a long time without doing the thing that I think God has asked me to do, which is to be a pastor. And yet, God is, God is not like surprised; He's not dismayed. It's good. I was a young convert for a long time. I needed a lot, a lot. I've talked about this. I needed two by fours of correction to not be conceited. Young converts need that. Oh, don't talk. I mean, you just think of what would happen if a 22-year-old decides that he's going to be a pastor and becomes a pastor. And then he sees a sin that he personally has a struggle with. And someone who's 60. And he's like, why would you ever do that? That's such a... Wh- blah, 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 blah that's not going to be well. uh, That's not going to be a gentle way to deal with sin. Uh, the young converts can, can easily fall into that condemnation. And, and so this is really a protection for the young people in the church. As much as it is a protection for ourselves. As it's true well. So there it is. There's what we need to be looking for as we search and as we pray for elders here. And it's what we need to be praying for our elders currently. Tim Wegener, who was with us last week, who gave the charge to you as a congregation. He's one of our elders. He's in Bloomington. Andrew Dion and Winton Raffin are down in South Carolina. Trinity Presbyterian Church down there. They are our elders. He's the pastor. Andrew's the pastor. In it, and is one of his elders. Pray for them, that they don't fall into these days. And then pray that God would, by his kindness, give us a this way. Because As important as growth is for our church, godly leadership is just as important. If we were to quadruple in size next week, but have no one else to share the load, it wouldn't be a good situation, probably. But if we grow, and our elders come along, and we have some men who can share the load, that would give us more how God works with His elders and with His people, so let's pray for them, I'm going to pray and then we're going to stand and sing, Well, no, it's communion, why didn't you say something, I've been preaching this whole time, you guys should have cut me off, but Joe, it's communion Sunday, you can do that just one time, Rick, you can only use it once, everybody gets one free card about 20 times so you should be good for a couple of years Um, I'm sorry I really am let's uh, let's have the men come forward and we will have them